Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Want to impress your guests with delicious food that is both home-cooked and homegrown? We've got the lowdown for you on how to grow and cook the tastiest veg right from the top. Hello, I'm Miranda. Welcome to this episode. Today I'm chatting to the king of flavour, Chef Raymond Blanc, whose own Michelin-star restaurant in Oxfordshire grows its own fruit and veg. I started by asking Raymond, how can we improve flavour in the way that we grow our own food? When I became a chef in England, it was in a little, beautiful little uh, inn, the rose revived, and Mr. Lay was a head gardener, okay? And me, I was a young chef was starting. And immediately, because of my culture, I wanted to create a big garden, which was already existing, but Mr. Lay only grew Brussels sprouts as big as tennis balls, if he could. Carrots, carrots which were 30 centimeters long. It was all about how big it was. And me, I wanted to grow smaller, tender vegetables, which would have this juicy, tender, very delicate flavors. So that means my carrots were no more than uh, four inches, no, just big enough to give flavor, not, but, etc. So, so I had to actually, when I, when he, I eventually he grew the variety, because he didn't quite understand varieties. It was hard, how big it was. So eventually, uh, he grew some of my varieties, the Nantes carrots, you know, the Burgundy cabbage, etc., etc., the Navet de Croissy, which is a, a French turnip, which is so delicious, so mild, no bitterness or a hint of bitterness with a lot of sweetness. It goes into a beautiful root, you know, a beautiful white, white root. And, and he grew all these vegetables. Eventually, it took me a long, long time to persuade him. But when the time for harvest came in, he wanted to go to, to pick them up so big. So I had to <laughs> steal the plants during the night. So at 12 o'clock <laughs> at night, okay, I would go in the garden and pick, you know, in, you know, in, in, uh, you know the, the carrots or the peas or the, the sweet peas, whatever. And of course, one night he realized that I was somebody was stealing the plants. And as I was stealing, taking them in my basket, okay, I saw this big shadow on that moonlight over me, and I knew I knew I would be in big trouble. But thank God, <laughs> little Frenchman run faster than big Englishman, uh, and that's my, my first memory truly of a gro- of gardening in Great Britain, a serious uh, difference of approach. Okay, because when my mom sent me to get some potatoes, she, she wouldn't get me, tell me, get some potatoes. She would tell me, get me some Maris Pieper, get me some yeah. binge, Maris Pieper for French fries. And you would have French fries day. Then uh, my, the, the binge would be for puree. The rat would be for risole, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a variety for every technique. Well, I see is that didn't exist. And the first thing I did when we at Le Manoir, the first thing I did was to bring first my gardeners, okay, in the kitchen to talk to them about taste. So we tasted 50 varieties of carrots. So they could understand the importance of the variety. And sometimes the variety is as, as important or even more important than the soil in which it grows. And, and uh, so... 
we did tests of chilies. The test of chili was a disaster because imagine when you have 40 different chilies, you know, <laughs> so, there was a lot of people crying their eyes out, okay, because it's, <laughs> it was frightening. But basically, in order to get the best aubergines, the best courgettes, you did all this trial in order to find the earliest, the, the crop which would go the earliest, the crop would go the latest, and most importantly, which crop is the best, which variety is the best. So I think variety is crucially important, crucially important. I've taken two lessons from you so far. So firstly, and you know, for English people, our big veg is very important. Not you know, we, have, we, we meet in church halls to compare the size of our giant yeah. marrow, which True. has no taste, right? Yeah. No taste no, at all, fun. which says, says everything you need to know about English cooking. But I'm joking. But I think you're right. So you think growing smaller, you can get more taste? No, no, no. And, no. And you have to be careful because let's okay. say if a, if a plant is too young, a baby, it doesn't have any flavor, it doesn't have any texture, or too little. Okay, so so there's always or a carrot, you know, when it's, it's too small, it's very beautiful to look at. It's uh, you and the woman will cry because these little baby carrots are so gorgeous, you know. <laughs> so that is fun, okay, uh, but they don't have enough, enough taste, and you need a certain maturity within that vegetable to extract beautiful flavor and texture. Okay, both. Okay, uh, and of course, when you grow it too big, the the the, the center of the carrot gets hard. You know, the carrot itself is too oversweet, and so on. Yeah. So there's always a moment when harvesting a carrot, which is right or a pea. I, imagine a pea. When they, of course, when they're babies, that's the best time. You just warm a tiny bit of uh, uh, two tablespoons of water in your pan, five gram of butter. Okay, bring it to the bowl, maybe a little bit of mint if you want to, but I would take them plain, just plain, as they are. Their miracle is in their, their simplicity. And you just warm it up, that's all, and it, don't even cook them. But imagine how much peas you would need in a family in order to, to have this gourmet dinner. So the size matters, size matters. As always, when the size is uh, too big, it's really getting, uh, it is getting, uh, the, uh, the flavor is, 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 especially the fibers are too big, you know, too big. Yeah. So as, and I, and I think, think of adolescence, you know, not baby, not very old, but in the middle, okay. And then you and have the a, a carrot teenage. experience. But the variety is so important. And for me, having tried, tried, Maybe hundred varieties of of, uh, of 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 varieties. I found that that's a non carrot, so it's a French variety. There are some English ones which are winning sometimes, but the non varieties <laughs> really is is really the very best. So I'm hoping you're going to say the best way to know when a vegetable is at its tastiest is to is to taste it, right? Is to, yeah, to best understand, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. And then the variety thing I think is really interesting because I think. Well, I worry that because of supermarket shopping, we don't think there are 40 different types of chili. Or, no. you know, we, we, we think this is a tomato, this is a cabbage, and, and that is it. And maybe we don't have the knowledge that we can get from gardening. I mean, would you agree this is something that can help us improve our taste and food by growing ourselves? I think uh, both some of the main retailers are starting to put the variety, okay, on the packs, which is very helpful. 
And I can, it's amazing the difference they bring in terms of uh, eating experience. Okay. And I know uh, uh, Marcus Spencer, Tesco are, are, are now understand the, the importance of variety, uh, whether it is a thin leaf or thicker leaves with a flavor. And of course, when you have a thicker leaf, let's say spinach, you have much more texture. It cooks differently. It tastes differently. So I think, and now we are in England, it's wrong to say that our big, the bigness now is for fun. Raymond, I've heard you express a concern about obesity. And in this country, it's over £6 billion a year, the cost of our health service. How do you think growing your own vegetables, your own food can help us deal with this problem we face as a society? First, I think uh, the consumer uh, is much more knowledgeable than it was. He wants to know where the food is coming from. Uh, he wants to eat now. We understand more and more that food has got a direct impact on our health, okay? And that uh, it is true that uh, uh, the figures are there. It's six billion pounds of misery through malnutrition, through bad eating. So, obviously, the best is to grow your own food and find an allotment, okay? But who knows that it will only for 1% of people. You still have 99% of people who will not have an allotment or we will not have any space to have a few raised beds, okay, in their gardens. So I would encourage people to grow more of their food, definitely, and cook more of their food. And for growing your food, even if you have a little windowsill, you know, could be used by planting some herbs, you know, so it's amazing. In, in six weeks from seeds, you will have, you know, some beautiful basilic, some beautiful coriander, a few chives, and explain to your child this miracle. You know, and if you, have, of course, if you're lucky to have a bit more uh, space, a few raised beds outside, and grow plants which grows very easily and can be rotated very, very quickly. So I think, uh, and it's magical again to pass on that knowledge to your child and that magic of growing food. And nutrition was very important as part of you recovering from COVID, which you you suffered with very seriously. I was very sorry to, to, to hear about. Um, were you worried about losing your sense of taste? <laughs> much so. <laughs> much so. <laughs> the lungs were 90 percent, you know, infected. But what worried me the most was staying alive, of course. That was a priority. But the sense of taste, I said, oh, my God, if I lose my taste, I had nightmares. And my sense of smell, it would be disastrous. And, of course, it would be disastrous if you're a chef, you know, because that's my main, uh, my main, uh, how do you call that, a medium, okay, to taste the food, to smell the food, you know. And I was really afraid. But actually, uh, nothing like that happened. And I was lo- among the lucky one. When not, my sense of taste and smell never was uh, affected. Only, well, it was affected because when you, have, you are given so many uh, antibiotics, so many medications, your tongue is like a grater. <laughs> so yeah. it took me six months to be able to drink wine or to have anything acidic such as lemon because oh. everything was... And, and your, your mouth is full of cuts and so on because the medication is so strong. Okay, oh. so to, but but besides that, my sense of smell, God bless, and I mean that God <laughs> bless, was never affected. And when when you were worrying about losing your sense of taste, was there any meal or 
vegetable in particular that you were thinking, this is what I will miss the most? Was there anything that you would... It's amazing. When you're very ill, you don't think of... Yes, you dream a little bit. You have moments where you... When you feel a little bit better, immediately the first thing you think of is food. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, for a plush tomato. So it happened in January. So it couldn't have never been a, a plush tomato. But a few baby Brussels sprouts of some beautiful Russian kale or Westland kale, just flash fried, you know, with a bit of ginger, you know, inside would have been really lovely, but it didn't. Obviously, the hospital food is slightly different. And you you have had such a challenging year, Raymond. Um, I was really, really sorry to hear about your mother passing away as well. And and I love the description I had that your your sons, they describe her as Mother Teresa on steroids. I mean, she's an incredibly charitable woman, <laughs> speed, wasn't she? Actually. A speed! <laughs> if they are politically <laughs> correct, you put steroids. <laughs> but my sons are not politically correct. <laughs> but yes, and, and the reason why she's a tiny little woman, you know, uh, five foot, five, so no, yes, about five foot, and getting smaller every year, and she's uh, she just goes so fast. You know, she she works all of her life. She was a farmer's daughter. She didn't couldn't go to school, so she had to work at the farm of my grandfather. So she worked the earth, and she has hands which are so rugged. So woman who worked all of her life, and she would she had a family of ch- five children. Okay, she would also do the garden, look after the house, you know, prepare the food, you know, and look after us as well. So the woman would work very hard, and she always run. And she would jump on a chair to find, and she would always lose, lose where she, a bit like me, you know, she would lose where's the sugar, and she would jump onto a chair to find where the sugar was, and she would go in three or four cupboards. So always fast, but always wanting to give her sons or a stranger the best food, the best love. For her, it was an act of love, okay? And, uh, and, uh, and she gave me, not only understand food in terms of a, uh, the effort it takes to grow food, okay, the love it takes as well to prepare it and to give it to one's guests or one's children, okay, and all these values are so deep rooted inside me, and that's what I pass on to to my to my young chefs, and all my young chefs go in the garden, so they understand the the difficulties, the craft of the garden, the extraordinary craft. I have such an extraordinary uh, uh, respect for the gardener. And I think in this country, more than ever, which is a gardening country, which I still don't understand why the gardeners are paid so low. Why they so, when they know so much, Mm-hmm. Their, their knowledge of the earth, their knowledge of, of the foods they grow is so extraordinary. And yet it's one of the most devalued uh, craft ever. So there's something to be done about it. I can hear everyone listening in the future applauding to this because I think it's something we all feel very, very strongly. And it's lovely to hear you as a chef acknowledge that skill set. And I think the skills can be shared. Is that right? Of course, that gardeners can learn from chefs ga- and chefs can learn from gardeners? For, for the last 30 years, because I realized quickly that my gardeners never ate their food. Okay, so they would grow it, the chef would cook it, but none of them, the chefs wouldn't understand gardening and the gardeners wouldn't understand the kitchen. He stopped at growing the food. And then I changed everything. First, we did lots of trials on, a, on, on, a, on, on all vegetables to find earliest, latest, and best. And the chefs 
would uh, would help the gardeners to prepare the soil. The gardeners would explain what's going on, okay, in, in growing the problem. And then the gardeners would go in the kitchen to taste their food. So suddenly there's an enrichment on both sides. And that's how everyone wins. And both understood their, 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 their craft, their skills. Okay, and and uh, and of course, gardeners, you know, uh, grew even better food, and the chefs basically ate better vegetables. So everyone wins. Everyone is winning. So I've got some questions here to help people listening grow the best veg this year. So I hope uh, I, I've taken some of this, some of these ideas from your book. So I hope um, <laughs> you don't mind me asking you. So I know that money maker is your favorite aubergine. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to tell us why? <laughs> Well, I've done about uh, 30 or 40, it's a horrible name first, I apologize for the name, <laughs> but sometimes love, you know, doesn't come from, from a name. Uh, I did many, many trials of aubergines, and I found the moneymaker, which is uh, not an organic seed, that means we have to uh, propagate it differently, we have to ask the permission to the soil association, of course, okay, doing things, because all are the whole 27 acres are totally organic. I've never used ever a chemical in my gardens. A bit more, hand, a bit more work, definitely. Okay. So, and I found the money maker, a very unusual aubergine, and I couldn't find its origin. I really couldn't find its origin. I looked everywhere. Uh, I couldn't. But what is lovely? Very young. When it's no bigger than let's say uh, three inches. It has already its taste and its texture, structure within it. That means as baby, you can eat it, okay, and, and there are plenty of them. It's a very productive plant, okay. Uh, there is a um, very young, it tastes fabulous, creamy, few seeds inside, very f- flavorful when you pan fry it or roast it or puree it. Uh, uh, it, it has so many, uh, from young to old, and when it grows uh, older, okay, as a, as a mature plant, the taste is even bigger, okay, uh, and uh, again, very tight, very heavy, very beautiful texture, creamy as well. Oxidized less, I don't know why. Um, so I think uh, uh, I fell in love with that version in despite of his name. And actually, I'm, I was talking to Anne-Marie, with, uh, with whom I've worked for 35 years, who's a head gardener at Le Manoir, amazing lady. Okay. And, uh, and I said, well, I think we need to change names. It's terrible to call it Money Maker. <laughs> it looks like we are, you know, you know t- t- we're just thinking of money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look good for the manor. So, so basically, I'm, I'm thinking of if it's possible maybe to call it something else. I don't know if, it's, if I'm going to find if it's legal or not. <laughs> but uh, if it's that good, heavy, it would have crop, been a money maker. Crop, amazing taste, uh, uh, very resistant to any disease as well. Okay, uh, so I think uh, it was. Uh, of course, we've got many other varieties on the side, but that's my favorite, and I know it's called money maker. So I apologize for that. <laughs> but come and test it and you'll see. Oh, I look forward to it. Or grow it yourself. Yes. Well, this is why I think it's lovely for people to know Raymond's favorite vegetables when they're looking at seeds. You know, it <laughs> helps in the kitchen, as you say, to start with varieties that we know can offer us some really good taste. And Californian golden bell pepper. What, what, what do you uh, like so much about it? 
uh, obviously the, the pepper that I, I I love the most is the Romano, the long red pepper. That's the one I love the most, and I've done many many dishes. Lately, I've done a, a Romano. Uh, slightly steamed to remove the skins and roasted to remove the seeds and filled it with freki, which is a very ancient Middle Eastern uh, 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 wheat, but full of protein. So in terms of nutrition, it's brilliant. So inside you put the cumin, the caraway, you put a bit of anise, you know, and suddenly you wrap it up, you know, you wrap it up and steam it again, you know, and you have the most gorgeous product. I serve that with a red pepper jus, Okay, and it's an amazing dish. It happens to be vegan, but it's just a it's, it's a the dish is so magnificent, and I hate this separation of vegan. And we have to understand for all sorts of reasons, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, okay. But that's the dish. It happened to be vegan, but it's the most extraordinary dish. And the one I did for the, the Californian uh, bell, okay, and they're all sort of different colors and so on. But uh, what what was lovely with this bell, I liked it because it had a very thick wall. And that's very important for when roasting, otherwise it collapses. It doesn't have the texture. Okay, so so uh, organic seed as well. Uh, uh, so it has a thick bell. The chamber inside is very loose, you know, few seeds and easy to clean. Okay, and then the taste is really fabulous, very... Uh, this pepper taste, which is deep, rich, and that sweetness with a bit of acidity. So, and easy to fill. It just begs to be filled with uh, either yellow lentils, lentils with fish, with rice, with... Uh, and I filled it, you know, on that uh, program, uh, Simply Raymond, you know, I filled it with uh, uh, tomato, tomatoes and, 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 and this uh, couscous, I believe, or freki. And that's a simple dish. The freki, you cook it in a little bit of water, olive oil, salt, pepper, a few spices inside, bang, into the pep- bell pepper. 20 minutes in the oven, you've got the most amazing dish. Voila. It's wonderful. And I think as gardeners growing veg, something we have a lot of are courgettes. <laughs> you never seem to be short of courgettes. Do you have any tips for the a, a really simple but tasty way to, to use a courgette in the kitchen? Oh, yes. Um, definitely, of course I would. <laughs> I, I'm sure you were never in doubt. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you a recipe. Uh, obviously, the obvious way you have a grilled pan. Okay, if you want the best flavor of the courgette. Okay, uh, but first, don't let them grow in tomorrow. Okay, because the marrow is a, you know, it's got a. Okay, it's a nice uh, way to fill it with lots of uh, sticky rice inside and some lots of cheese and bake it. That's fun. But uh, in terms of gastronomy or good food, you don't want the courgette to be too small because, again, flavor. To cook it so you can either slice it sideways, lengthways, and grill it, just grill it, you know, with other vegetables. That's a beautiful dish. And serve it cold, warm, or tepid, okay? And uh, that is a beautiful, simple dish. Uh, Otherwise, the way I'm going to give you a recipe now, okay, which goes for 90% of all world vegetables. And that's what my my mom would do, because my mom would always cook with water, never with stocks. She would would be able to extract, you know, flavors, okay, of, of, of fish, meat, or vegetables, just with water. 
Okay, and that's the simplest way you can cook. For example, if you do a, a, you know a roast, okay, uh, or if you cook a dish, you prepare your vegetables beforehand. Let's say courgettes, you slice them not too thin because you want texture. You are about uh, well, five five millimeter, okay, like that. You put them in a casserole. Uh, say for 200 gram for let's say for two people uh, 200 gram of courgettes, okay. You put uh, uh, six tablespoons of water, okay, about a, half a deciliter of water, a little bit of olive oil or butter, what your choice, okay. Uh, maybe if you have a little one leaf of basil, it would be great. Okay, a slice of garlic would be even better. Remember, garlic is part of your medicine cabinet, okay, it's part of your health building, building health. And then seasoning, a few flakes of salt, maldon or uh, local salt if you can, Okay, uh, three turns of pepper. You bring the cover. You leave it aside. Carrots the same. Slice them. You know, a uh, bit of water, a bit of butter or olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic on the side. Uh, and whatever you do, spinach, one tablespoon of water only, because they've got plenty of uh, of of, of uh, moisture. So a bit of salt, pepper, a bit of garlic. Cover on the side. And the last moment when your meat is cooked. At the last moment, you put on full these three vegetables. The carrots will take four minutes, the spinach, one minute, uh, and what else would you say? And the courgette, one minute and a half. That's it, full on. So you keep the flavor, you keep the texture, you keep the nutrients, and that's very important. If you boil a courgette, let's say, into plenty of water, you murder your courgette, you're a murderer, okay? You, because the water, is, all the vitamins will go into the water, it will extract the flavor as well. Whereas, it, imagine by putting just a bit of water, you create an emulsion. The juice of the courgettes come out, the juice of the carrot comes out, you know, and, and then melt. The water evaporate, creating the perfect water, butter, or olive oil mix wrapped around every piece of courgette. So you increase the flavor by at least three. So it's a wonderful way to cook. That's my mom. That's my mom technique. She, she would always, you know, vegetables first, all prepared in different casserole. And at the last moment, when the roast is ready or whatever food is ready, you put it on the table, and that serves popping hot. Voila. Oh, I'm going to have to try that. That sounds absolutely, absolutely lovely. And I do have to ask you about salad because we've talked about not everybody has a lot of space, but salad is something you can grow on the window something you don't need too much space to grow at all. And you've said that um, the salad is the simplest form of gastronomy. Yeah. So what are your top choice of salad leaves to grow? Uh, in winter, it will be uh, frisé, it will be uh, trevis, you know, uh, it will be hardy, quite bitter leaves. Okay, and in summer, the summer is a huge area. I love mesclin, which is a mix of uh, romaine, cos, gems, you know, uh, feuille de chêne, etc. So for summer, you have an extraordinary choice, a palette of flavors, of colors, of textures, of these extraordinary dainty leaves. Okay, but pick them up in the morning, never uh, in the afternoon. Okay, uh, and uh, uh, I grow a lot of mesclin, which is a mix of different seeds, okay, uh, which is uh, coarse, uh, little gems, which is a plain lettuce, which is uh, the trevis, uh, which is, uh, uh, there's about ten, 10 varieties. And uh, 
And they all have, some of it are bitter, some of them are bittersweet, some of them are very sweet. Above the many benefits to growing your own food, which I think we've talked about a fair few of them today, is there, what would you describe as the greatest benefit that, to one person to grow their own vegetables? Why should they go out there this year and grow their own? Oh, I think that's, so, as, as we've talked about, there's so many, it's reconnecting with the earth, with seasonality. Uh, you know, creating your planting program can be a bit tricky. And knowing the basics as well, the great thing about, you know, rotation system to really know, understand the importance of rotation, but mostly as basic pleasure, it's a joy to be outside of stress into an office uh, and to be in the full fresh air, bathing yourself in the sun or the rain, whatever it might be, okay, and being there in your garden, in your garden patch and, and growing food, okay. I mean, it's the most creative process. There's so much, it brings so much joy and, of course, uh, an activity, a physical activity, which we, have, we don't have enough of it. At plus, it's... This air, you know, you are right in that space, you know, uh, which is a very creative space. Uh, and uh, I think if you've got a garden big enough, obviously, uh, going food, even however small it is or big it is, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, it's, it, to give your first, to grow, to succeed in beating the blight and grow your, be your best tomato. <laughs> and you know you've chosen the right variety. Okay, uh, and you give that to your, and you finish them off on the seat of your window like my mum would do, you know, and then just big chunky pieces of tomato with a salad and a dre simple dressing, a few hard-boiled eggs around, you're in heaven, okay, there's a lot, it gives so much pleasure, both doing it and then transforming this, your growing into a, a beautiful offering of simple, delicious, homegrown food. I think there are few greater pleasures than that. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. And for more gardening tips and inspiration, why not try our new magazine subscription offer for podcast listeners at buysubscriptions.com forward slash GWpod. You'll also find our special offer in the podcast pages on gardenersworld.com, where we also share more about today's themes. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>